All right, let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. We're looking at verses 18 through 25. Matthew 1, 18 through 25, as we continue our way through our Advent series. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, give us grace to understand your word and to believe it, to act upon it. We pray that you would change us by it. In Christ's name, amen. There's a line in Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us. And I like that line because in that hymn in particular, uh, Luther does a good job of showing the darkness and the danger in our fallen and corrupt world. And he contrasts that with the light and the life that we have in Jesus Christ who conquers the devil. And though this world with devils filled. It's just a, it's a great way to say it. And it's a truth, right? There are devils, there are demons, there are evil actors in the world that want to do us harm. But we could also say that uh, in this world with saviors filled, we are in danger. Saviors. There are all kinds of saviors in the world. The world is filled with saviors, little s, saviors, those that are propped up to be or attempt to make themselves heroes, redeemers, fixers, healers, right? Those that the world looks to, we are tempted to look to them sometimes for, for some sort of new life. There's a lot of saviors in the world, gurus, hotshots, know-it-alls, and they're not always offering bad things. Sometimes they're offering good help. But the one thing that they all have in common is that they all offer words. Words. They offer advice, not atonement. You see, they, they offer words because that's all that they have to offer. They don't have the work that saves humanity. They only have words that are offered in an attempt to improve humanity. The saviors of the world 
they say a lot, but they save none. They can't live up to that title of Savior, though some of them really want to step into it. And as we celebrate Advent, the, the, the first coming of Christ, we're waiting for his arrival. And then Christmas itself is the celebration of the birth of Jesus. It is the arrival of the Son of God. And it is a son that saves. And that's what we need, right? If we're going to boil this down to one thing that I think we should all be taking away from this passage today, it is simply this, that we need a son who saves, not a son who says. Anybody can say. It's easy to say. It's easy to offer advice, but atonement. We don't need an advisor as much as we need an advocate. And that's what we have in Jesus we need a son who actually saves. And Advent and Christmas, it all reminds us that we need saving and that Jesus is that Savior. So I just want us to walk through the passage. We're going to keep it real simple. We're going to walk through this passage. We're going to look at the discovery uh, that, that Joseph uh, encounters. His wife is pregnant, and it's not his child. Then we're going to see Joseph encounter uh, this, this revelation from God when he's visited by an angel. But then I want us to note his response. The response of Joseph to this revelation. All to help us see that we all need a son who saves, not just a son who says. So first, the discovery in verses 18 and 19, we read again that, uh, that Joseph and Mary were betrothed. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Now, betrothal, I know a lot of you know that it's, it's, uh, it's not marriage, it's before marriage, so we tend to think it's like engagement, and it is somewhat like engagement. But it's not exactly like engagement because betrothal, especially here in, in the first century Jewish context, it was a very serious commitment. It is an oath. It is a covenant. You are basically married, almost married. In fact, you are married enough that Joseph has called her husband in verse 19, even though they're only betrothed. This is how it worked. Now, even though you were betrothed and there was a covenant oath that was made and the families are invested and the two people are invested, they are wholly committed before God and others, they are not yet functioning as husband and wife. So they're not living together, they're not sleeping together. They remain separate until they, on their wedding day, come together and become one. They're betrothed to one another. And Joseph learns of Mary's pregnancy. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, yes, it, that's a true statement. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. What did Joseph understand? We don't know. But it doesn't look like he understood that it was child from the Holy Spirit. Doesn't look that way. Looks like all he knows is Mary, the woman he loves, the woman he's all in, all for, uh, is now pregnant. And it's not his because they have been uh, keeping their relationship pure in that way. So uh, he's obviously, I mean, he is what you would, anybody would think, right? If you suspect your, your, your partner of being unfaithful, right? There's got to be anger, heartbreak. There's got to be sadness. Now, Joseph, when he gets in this situation, he has to make a decision. 
right? What's he going to do? And really, he had, uh, he had three options, basically. One is, from his perspective, just roll with it and, and adopt that boy, right? He could do that. That's an option. Uh, another option is uh, he could take her to court. Uh, this is a serious a problem, a serious offense. Uh, she wouldn't, uh, in, in this, at this point in, in Israel's history, uh, she wouldn't have been put to death, as some of the laws might suggest. There were so many outs at this point to escape that kind of a punishment. But one course of action, which is in his right, is, would be to take her to court for breaking this vow. It could be very public. It could be, she would be shamed. It would be dramatic, hurtful, horrible. Or he could simply give her a certificate of divorce. See, that's why it's different than engagement. We break off engagements like they're nothing, right? And usually when you break off an engagement, you're like, whoo, glad I got out of that, right? Because it, it was almost time for it to happen. Like I've, a lot of people get there. But betrothal, you only get to that point when you know, like when you're really certain. And so you would have to issue a certificate of divorce, right? Okay, the betrothal is formally over. You are free. Now you can marry or whatever, and we're going to go our separate ways. And that's what Joseph did. In fact, it says that Joseph was a just man. It says he was just and unwilling to put her to shame. He resolved to divorce her quietly. So we learn a couple of things about Joseph. One, he's a good guy. He's not a bad guy. Um, he doesn't understand or can't roll with this, he, this situation. It's too much for him, so he's resolved. I'm going I'm to end it. I'm going to divorce her, but I'm not going to shame her. I'm not going to flame her. I'm just going to, I just want to get out of the situation as is his right. But there's a revelation. <laughs> there. There, there is an explanation that's given, and we see this in, in 20 through 23. And I like how it's worded here. As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. As he considered these things. In other words, he's thinking about them. They are burdening him. Of course they are. He is, he is weighed down with it. I mean, his whole life is changing because he thought he was going to marry Mary and start this new life, but now that's going to have to come to an end. So it's weighing on him, and he goes to sleep. And when he goes to sleep, he has a dream. And in his dream, he's visited by an angel, which is... An interesting way for God to communicate with Joseph. I wouldn't, I wouldn't prefer this way. Because if it's a dream, what can you say? Just a dream. I'm going to ignore that. No thanks. Yeah, I have weird dreams all the time. I've been having super stressful dreams all week long. I wake up sweating, heart beating, super stressful dreams. Like, for real, honestly, I'm supposed to be speaking at an event, and I either don't have my notes or my pants, whatever. But I can't, and I'm super, literally, that's, those are the dreams. And I'm super stressed, and I don't know what to do, and I, or I haven't prepared at all. So I, I wake up, and I'm so relieved. Oh, it's a dream. Well, this is how it's going to happen. God's going to communicate with Joseph via an angel in his dream. So here's the surprise. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So this clues us in. One of the things that's bothering Joseph here, one of the reasons he's going with the divorce is because he's afraid. 
He says, don't be afraid to marry her. Why would he be afraid to marry Mary? Well, can I trust her? I mean, she's pregnant, and I thought I could trust her, and now I don't feel like I can trust her. And, uh, you know, she, she, she broke my heart. She broke her vow. To me, this is what he's thinking in his mind, even though it's not accurate. He's afraid. And the angel says, no, 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 don't be afraid to marry her. She has been faithful. She is for you. She is with you. But she is blessed of God. The child that she carries has been conceived of the Holy Spirit. The angel explains, and it's an explanation that would satisfy absolutely no one in the world. Uh, yeah, so that, that baby <laughs> was a, it's a miracle baby. And we use that term pretty loosely, right? But we have lots, you see lots of miracle babies in Scripture, but not like this. this no, there's, there's no, there's no husband involved. There's no human father involved. This was a miraculous conception. The Holy Spirit conceived the child in the womb of Mary. And we're supposed to believe this. We're supposed to believe this. This is such a quaint notion, such a, such a silly notion in the eyes of the world. It's like it, uh, every Christmas, it's a, it's a, it's a meme on, on Instagram and now TikTok, right, where Joseph and Mary are arguing about how ridiculous her answer is. Oh, well, it's, it's of the Holy Spirit. Well, this is the answer. It doesn't satisfy the world, but it could satisfy the believer. It could satisfy Joseph if he receives this word by faith. This is the difference between the world and us. It's not that we're gullible. It's that we recognize God's word when we hear it, when we see it. This, this, we now have God's word compiled in a book. And every believer opens God's word and says, this is the very word of God. We can disagree on how to interpret it. We can pick fights over what certain parts of it mean. But we all agree, whatever it means, it is God's word. You want to hear God's voice? You open this book and you start to read. Well, the angel is sent by God and he speaks to Joseph and he gives him an answer that doesn't really make much sense. But Joseph believes. And it's amazing that he believes. Right? Because belief in the word is an aspect of faith and we believe some incredible things. We believe incredible things that the world just laughs at as silly. And I'm not talking about God speaking the world into existence or uh, a big fish swallowing a little man. I mean, like, those are great. We believe that the eternal, everlasting God of the universe pays attention to us. No, loves us. No, speaks to us and seeks to save us and redeem us and bring us into a relationship with himself. That is incredible. We believe that because the only way of redeeming fallen human beings is for God to step into fallen humanity without being fallen himself, step into it as a human being to redeem us by his own substitution, his life, his death, and his resurrection. We believe that a Jewish man died on the cross 2,000 years ago, and that was the most significant event that had ever happened in the history of the world and will ever happen, because in that moment, it was the Son of God dying for sinners, 
satisfying God's wrath, securing eternity for the undeserving. We actually believe that. That's incredible. Joseph was a believer. Growing up hearing the stories, the Old Testament histories, he knows what God has done. He believes what God has said. And here he recognizes the voice of God again as this is ultimately a fulfillment of a prophecy. So the angel explains this child is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Let me just clear this up really quick. This is not called the Immaculate Conception. Every year, some Christians get a little confused because Immaculate Conception, it sounds, that sounds right. Jesus was immaculately conceived. It sounds like, oh yeah, Holy Spirit, Jesus conceived in the womb. Uh, the Immaculate Conception is a Roman Catholic teaching that Mary was conceived without original sin. Uh, and I'm not here to hate on the Roman Catholics. Y'all are wrong on that one, but I'm not here to hate on y'all. We disagree on that stuff. Um, but that's, when people refer to the Immaculate Conception, they're referring to Mary, conceived without original sin. Uh, so don't get confused. We're talking about the conception of Christ in the womb by the Holy Spirit and then the virgin birth, right? It's usually the, what we used to talk about the whole thing, the virgin birth. This is the miracle, the big miracle. The only person to ever be born without original sin was Jesus because he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He is perfectly human, but he is also fully God. This is how a Savior arrives. It is the only way a Savior could actually arrive who will truly save us. So we've got this visitor showing up. He surprises Joseph with this revelation. This child is of the Holy Spirit. And then there is a promise given in verses 21 through 23. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. That's the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. There's a promise here. He says, you're going to have a son, and you're going to name him Jesus. Jesus was a super common name. It's the name that's so common, you're like, I don't want to name my, my new kid Jesus because there's so many Jesuses running around. Like, I just looked it up. The most popular name, the most common name, like the most, the most popular name for newborns in 2020 was Liam. Liam. Strong name. I would have chose that maybe, but not if everybody else is choosing it. You got Liam, and then it was Noah. Number three, Oliver. Number three is Oliver. I asked Oliver, Oliver Bougie, are you up in here somewhere? He's working with the kids. I asked Oliver, I said, so number three, man, popular. How, 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 how many kids did you know when you were a kid named Oliver? And he's like, nobody. Everybody made fun of me. Olive oil. Do you love Popeye? He went in this whole thing. It was very traumatic for him. Anyways, Jesus as a name was a common everyday name. Lots of people named Jesus. We tend to think of it only as one person. But in other cultures and contexts, right, especially if you go down uh, south of the border, right, and uh, you'll, you'll meet a lot of men named Jesus, right, because it's a more common name uh, there. Here, we don't name our kids Jesus, and um, we tend to think of it as one, but Jesus was a common name. Uh, it, it, 
from the Joshua, right, in Hebrew, Yeshua. Uh, and it means the Lord saves. That's what the name means. It means the Lord saves. Yahweh saves. That's what it means. You're going to name him Jesus, Yahweh saves, because he is going to save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins, their problems, their fault. He's going to redeem people who have put themselves in a situation that they cannot extricate themselves from. It means we have a savior. Jesus is an actual savior. He doesn't just give words. He doesn't just give advice. He's making atonement. When Jesus died on the cross, he redeemed. He actually saved. He brought us out of death and into life. And this is really how it's put, right? It's, it's put in a negative, right? He will save his people from their sins. So salvation is not just negative. It's also positive. But here it's the negative that's being emphasized. You're saved from something. You're saved from sin, but if you're saved from one thing, you're saved unto something else. When you're delivered, you're delivered out of one context into another context. But to say that we are saved from sin means that we are liberated from our guilt. But in Ephesians 1.7, there Paul says that in Christ we have redemption, that is the forgiveness of our sins. Forgiveness. God forgives fallen, broken, wayward, willful humanity. We are liberated from our guilt. Every human being is affected by guilt. We're all guilty, but we are also affected by it. We, we sense it. Now, we don't sense all of it, but we all sense some of it. We know, you know, there is a need for cleansing and for forgiveness for what you have done Jesus alone provides that through his death. We're rescued from guilt. And if we're, if we're saved from sin, that means we're also rescued from slavery because Jesus makes the point in John 8 that anyone who sins is a slave of sin and he has come to set us free. To be saved from sin means that we're, we're rescued from condemnation. That what we have earned, what we have merited in our lives is judgment from God, but what we have instead is forgiveness. So if salvation is from sin, then it must be unto righteousness, right? If you're, if you're liberated from guilt, then you're given righteousness. If you're, if you're liberated from slavery, then you're given the gift of freedom. If you're given the gift of fellowship, it's because you've been brought out of a condition of condemnation. We read part of this earlier. I'm going to read more of it. In Romans chapter 3, verse 21, it says, Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. In other words, there is a righteousness of God that you need that you cannot create. There is a righteousness that you need but that you cannot amass. There is a righteousness you need that can't be found in yourself, it must come from outside. It's not through your law-keeping or your obedience, although the law and the prophets speak about it. So, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. 
There is righteousness given to all who believe through Jesus. This is the great exchange. This is how our Savior works. He steps into our place and he takes our punishment. When Jesus died on the cross, he was suffering for our sins and our crimes. He takes our guilt, but he gives us his righteousness. He takes our shame and he cleanses us of our guilt. This is the doctrine of justification. Condemnation, we're saved from it. And now we stand in justification, cleansed, forgiven, and counted as righteous, not because I am righteous, but because Jesus is, and I've been given his righteousness as a gift. Jesus actually saves sinners. That's the point. Jesus is not necessarily going to save your bank account. He probably won't, to be honest. Doesn't mean he's going to save your, your house. Doesn't mean he's going to save your relationship. He can do those things. But that's not a promise. But he will save your soul. He will save you. He will redeem your mind and your heart. He will create in you a love for God. He will transform you and cause you to progressively become the person that God designed you to be so that you become more fully human each day as you follow Christ. He saves. This is the fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah that a virgin will conceive and give birth and he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. God draws near to us in the incarnation, in the birth of Christ. God draws near and he doesn't get close to us to intimidate. He doesn't get close to us to frown at us. He draws close to us to embrace us and to help us. He doesn't draw close to sell us a program or to merely give us words. He draws close to give us his life. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. It is why the people of God were waiting for the arrival of the Son of God. Now, I particularly appreciate Joseph's response here in verses 24 and 25. When Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. I love that Joseph, that Joseph woke up. He woke up from this dream. He woke up, and he knew exactly what he needed to do. I love that because I think I would have woke up and I would have gone through my options. I would, have, I would have thought through all of my options. Like I said, I wake up super stressed out, anxious, sweating, thinking about things. Or like you have a really good dream. Like, oh, that was a sweet man. I had a dream. I, li I had a dream that I grew my hair back. I, I'm not, I, I don't lie up here. I never lie. Uh, I had a dream I could grow my hair back and it was awesome. It was so good. And I grew it out and it was like, mm. And then... Uh, and then I woke up, and it was, uh, it was awful. It was terrible. Um, you wake up, and you're like, ah, oh, it's just a dream, you know. Well, Joseph had a dream. That's literally what we're told. He had a dream. And in this dream, an angel tells him, hey, man, don't worry about it. Don't be afraid. You can marry uh, the one you're betrothed to. Don't divorce her. Stay with her. The child is, is from the Lord. 
Well, one of his options was, uh, I'm just going to ignore that dream because it was a dream. It was a dream. Obviously, I'm going to say things that I want to hear in my dream. I don't want to lose her, but I'm afraid to marry her. So what do I hear? Don't be afraid. It's all good. She didn't do anything wrong. God's doing something crazy here. Like, I would have wanted to rationalize my way through this. He doesn't. He doesn't, he doesn't do that. He could have rejected it outright. I mean, honestly, it's another option. Because it just sounds, it sounds dumb. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. This sounds dumb. Anybody, ask anybody in the world. So, like, uh, what, is it, what, do you, what do you think? What do you think? Um, two people engaged, virgins, she's pregnant. Uh, word is, from an angelic being, it's from the Lord. What do you think about that? I think most people that I know in the world would go, that's stupid. That's not a thing. That doesn't happen. Uh, because in their mind, what do they think? Well, what's more likely? That somebody's going to lie about their conception or that it's actually a miraculous conception. What, what's more likely? And we all go, well, it's more likely that somebody would lie about it because this doesn't happen. But it did. Hey, Joseph... He didn't dismiss it because it was crazy. He didn't throw it out because it happened in the context of a dream. He heard God. It lined up with everything that he knew about Scripture, and he accepted it. He didn't ignore it. He didn't reject it. He accepted this answer from the Lord through an angel. Now, the, the point here is not an exercise. What would you do if you were in Joseph's situation? Because I really don't care. The, the, the point is, what will you do with this information? You see, I think fundamentally the reason that Joseph was ready to hear this message is because Joseph understood that he is a sinner in need of a savior. I think he got it. I think he knew it. So when you read this story, when you're celebrating Advent, when you're looking towards Christmas, you see we're being reminded that we all need a Savior who will save us from our sin and guilt. Do you see your need? Do you see that this is the son that you need? One who actually saves. Yeah. You don't need advice. I mean, you do. We all need advice. Not as much as we need atonement. Advisors can be good. Jesus did not come to be your advisor, but to be your advocate, to stand up for you, to give you what you couldn't give yourself. We need a son who saves, which is altogether different than the sons of the earth who only say. Now, Advent and Christmas is supposed to remind us we need a savior. And we have one in Jesus. Let's look to him for our hope and redemption and let's look to offer that hope and redemption to everyone who will listen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful for your word, how you speak truth into a confusing world and even into our confusing lives. And so we ask that God... Would you help us to understand and embrace what you have said in your word? We pray, God, that you would work in us to be a people who are so hungry for you 
that we feast on your word, that we would read it to know you, not just to know it, and that it would be the thing that we want to share with others more than anything else. Lord, we lift up ourselves to you as we worship in gratitude and humility that you have saved sinners like us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.